and welcome back to Box Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Katya, and not Palindrome, but birthday Hannah? Happy birthday, Hannah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm 30 now-ish. Ish? <laughs> well, we're recording before my official birthday, so I guess when you're listening to this, I absolutely will be 30. Uh, okay, but, just, maybe I'm, you weren't I'm, sure. But, but I'm, I'm cl- you know, actually, like, uh, what, what are any of us at this age? <laughs> I like, feel like, I feel like there's a really great some sort of like aging Schrodinger's cat joke here, but I'm not smart enough to make it. Still in COVID times, <laughs> birthdays don't count. So, like, yeah, oh, I am fully yeah. still 29. A full yeah. year later, I refuse to acknowledge that that COVID birthdays are real. Uh, I will be having my 30th birthday in 2022 because <laughs> my birthday cross. in 2021 is going to once again be garbage. Yep. You There's a very, very it. small possibility where I live currently. I might get a vaccine sometime in my birth month, <laughs> which would be great. So, you know, that's well, how we're doing. So with all that cheery news, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Hannah, it's your birthday. What are we doing to celebrate your birthday? We're talking about Bridgerton again. And, and you know, it's not just indulgence. Okay, I mean, it, it mostly it is, is indulgence for me. But, but there's been quite a bit of season two news out since we like recorded our first episode. So it's still current. It's not like we can talk about WandaVision. It's also awesome. spoilers. Yeah, it's also still one of Netflix's top 10 shows and has been for the last three months. So, you know, people are still watching it. It's, um, it is still a good show. So last time we, we recorded a Bridgerton episode, which I mean, time means nothing in COVID. Like we said, um, I, I think it was three weeks ago. It could have been three years ago. I've really lost track, but, um, but we had a couple of guests. So we invited them back. Uh, so returning from the previous Bridgerton episode, we have Nicole and Sarah. Hey, guys. Hey. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there's not been new episodes and it's your birthday, Hannah. And on last week's show, you made fun of me. You were like, oh, I've never messed up hosting. So as far as I'm concerned, Hannah's the host this week. So well, congratulations. <laughs> no, no, I'm not the host. Because, I mean, I guess I'm as much the host as I am every show. What I meant was, is that I don't do the intro and outro, and you've already done that, so I guess my job is halfway done. So. You can do it now, and I can just splice the old one out and put the new one in. It's fine. Good job. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you just do it so well, Mav. Um, uh, it's fine. I, I'm, and I'm sure that like if someone like heard my voice, they'd be like, what's wrong? Where's, where's Wayne? Where's Mav? Where's Kavya? Where, where's like literally anyone else who's ever introduced the show? So yeah, I, I guess we can get started by focusing on a very light but important topic, which is Prince Friedrich was done dirty. And I want everyone's thoughts on this because I actually I actually think that he was like a pretty nice guy. And I'm not saying that she should have married him. I'm just saying her life would have been a lot less dramatic and full of more stuff, had she? Sure. I guess I'm mostly curious. Okay, but am I alone in thinking that Prince Friedrich is not that compelling of a character? Because well, I was no, just sort of like, you he's... are. I was like, you are pretty. You are, it's like you are pretty to look at and a great plot device. I didn't realize that there were like Prince Friedrich stands. <laughs> I, I think that I'm alone in this, and I I will tell you why I like him. Uh, but I'll let everybody else chime in. First, I want to address the question of you said you know he's pretty. Is he even all? The, I mean, 
No, he was not. I mean, he's, no, I mean, not. he's not ugly. No. He's fine, but you know, on a show, he's pretty in the way that everyone on television is. Yeah, pretty. yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He's. I mean, he he is a you know he is a above average looking man. You know, he looks like every star on television, like you said. And on a show where you literally get to see Simon, you know, naked a lot, I'm like, oh yeah, he was there, I guess. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, like he was not meant for like the like sex. There's a clear reason no. why she married. Simon, and it's literally because they could does, not keep their hands on each other. He does have the cute, like, rosy-cheeked mama's boy, you kind of want to pinch his little cheek kind of thing. Like, he's but, he's very, like, boy next door, despite being the prince of, prince of, of, of you know, what, Prussia? What, what is the prince of? God damn it, why am I forgetting this? England? Prince of Prussia. Prussia, Jeez. no. Yeah. <laughs> Brain. He was, he was sweet, though, and I think that was what was really yeah. Yeah. about him. Like, unlike everybody else who was, like, conniving and doing yeah. all sorts of shady deals, he was just like, oh, he was like a puppy. He was like, oh, you're nice yes. to me, you're pretty, I like yeah. you, yay, here. Well, that was my thing. I guess he was comparatively sweet. He was normal. I mean, he was like basically his his character is I'm not going to make some girl marry me who doesn't want to marry me. That's it. That's the one thing I can say yes. about him, which I'm like, good and for that, you, dude. That is the most compelling thing on that show about a man. Fair and enough. Like, like yes. ask me, ask me, do you want children? Would you like a family? What are your yes. interests? Which like <laughs> is not a thing that you see a lot. That, like, well, OK, here's. And this is not to justify anyone in the show as, as you know, for people who listen to our last episode, we have we have feels about the ethics of the show uh, in, in the sense that it is a giant train wreck and it's appealing to watch. Um, <laughs> but like, here's the thing. What I mean, OK, okay maybe this is just a problem of like media in general. Like, I think and I wonder if this is why we have this entire like narrative around like, oh, girls only like bad boys. I'm like, no, it's because we tell stories about girls falling in love with bad boys because good relationships are boring yeah yeah but they're not they're not boring well i i mean this is this is my argument this is why i this is why i like what does the show look like if she marries friedrich it just literally becomes she's wealthy and has lots of children i mean there's nothing wrong with that but i don't want to watch that to be fair uh if if the show follows the books that is daphne's life after this season sure um I'm not saying she should again. I'm not saying she should marry for you. I'm just saying there there is something compelling about someone actually caring about your interests, and also whenever his like like whenever Queen Charlotte's like you should make her marry you, he's like no. She, I'm like happy for them. Like if she made her choice. It's fine. I respect that. And I'm not again. I just I just I it, I liked it. It was nice. And there are, there are good relationships on TV at like like totally different show tammy taylor and the coach on friday night lights they have a good marriage it's compelling Shot, like, i mean this is this is me going on about you know soap opera in the good way marriage. That, yeah well okay like well i i guess i guess in in my mind okay not not having watched that show but knowing vague things about it like this to this, this is like a period soap opera yeah like uh-huh. in soap operas tend yeah. not to have healthy relationships no, at least not yeah. for the central character well, so like it would it would at least go against genre. I'm not saying that like Prince Friedrich is like not a nice character. I mean, I if if I had to like hang out with one of these characters for an afternoon, I would probably want to hang out with Prince Friedrich mostly because we could sit in the corner and basically look at the other people and be like, oh god, they're horrifying. Um, Anna's being a little unfair though, because like um, oh. so, well, so on Friday Night Lights, just because that's your example, right? It is a yeah. soap opera. Like obviously, so she's never, it's a soap opera. It's very much a soap opera. It is a soap opera. Their marriage is not perfect. He's no. not ab- he's not abusive. You know, it's no. just the, it, the the drama of Friday Night Lights is 
at least for for that couple, the drama is they have the kinds of marital problems that literally everyone does. And there are, you know, but like there are a lot of other characters who do have yes. quite negative relationships on that show. Like they, like coach, uh, coach and his wife are pretty good, you know, and then like drama is, well, OK, we need to compromise here for your career or for my career, like stuff like that happens. And I don't know that you could build a whole show out of that if there weren't this massive high school drama going on around them. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think what like Bridgerton is trying to do based on this like one book, one show scenario is like let each couple have their drama. And then like after they get married, have it be kind of like the marriage plot thing where it's a more stable relationship. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going I'm speculating. Some of the couples in Bridgerton are uh, less dramatic than like in the books are less dramatic than their like TV show counterparts, which to be fair, it's Shonda Rhimes is like production company. So I should have expected this. She's going to want drama. She's going to want something that makes for compelling television. TV is different than books, right? You know, which is why, which is why a lot of Americans just don't read, you know, but it's not because it's work. It's that, it's that for a visual narrative, you want constant something going on. I don't know that I believe, you know, we've talked about this on other shows. Um, like when we talk about superheroes, not letting them grow up, not letting them get married. I certainly don't believe that you can't, you can only be interesting if you're single and trying to find love. So I don't mind them having a marriage and dealing with marital issues. But there's no show if they're just happy, if they're if every time they go, if you marry Friedrich and you go, OK, he's a nice guy. He's never going to do anything bad. He's going to be very agreeable. Anything Daphne wants, he's going to say yes. And he's pr prince of a country. So they're just going to get it. And that's like, what well, do you do with that? point? Well, to be fair, to be fair, is the 19th century. Nobody's going to be happy. Sure. But like, it's not the 19th century. It's a Netflix show, right? Like yeah, they're going yeah. to they're deal with Netflix issues. Yeah. And the show isn't, I mean, it is obviously about like the 19th century in some ways, but also the, but like the, the thing that seems to be intriguing about the show is not specific to the 19th century. It's about shitty people being shitty to each other with some details and specificity to fit the time period. Right. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. Ish. yeah. Though to be fair, also there's glitter on the costumes because yeah. speculative history. Yeah. No, well, to be fair, no one's happy now either. I know we talked about this last time, but I still love that basically like the historic sewing community is basically like, yes, a TV show that we could un unproblematically enjoy a historical fashion. Because yeah. it's not trying to be historically accurate, and you know what? I I'm here for it. I'm here for Regency fashion with glitter. I wish I could. I wish I could cite uh, specifically the YouTube video, and honestly, it's probably all of them based on how you're describing it. But someone like rated all the like recent period dramas based on like accuracy, and for Bridgerton, there was they were like, is it the one that that's ranking? Uh, I believe is the title Regency Thirst Traps. I think it might be Regency Thirst Traps. I don't I think it was that it. one. But I will find I, it for the show notes. Uh, I'm sure it's similar. And they were like, you know, honestly, like Bridgerton doesn't follow like all the conventions, but you know, it, it like purposefully and as we like linked in the show notes last time, like this is what they were doing. They purposefully chose what to keep and what to discard and it works. So let's celebrate the glitter. Okay. It's not called Regency Thirst Traps. It's, it's the subtitle is <laughs> why are Regency men so hot? But it's from Abby Cox, which basically if you, if you are at all interested in, uh, historic fashion and people being snarky you should absolutely check out abby cox on youtube it will absolutely be in the show notes because she is delightful and hilarious and actually knows her shit um and, and she also did that video on the muppets christmas carol that we she did yeah just generally watch abby cox she's delightful <laughs> anyway 
Are Regency men hot? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Rowans are like Simon. I mean, Simon, yes. Is there a conversation I, here? I, I, sorry, are we having a conversation about like, well, okay, when we say are Regency men attractive, I think what we really mean is do we like men in Regency fashion? Fair enough, because I was thinking I, Hugh Grant in Sense and Sensibility, and I was like, mm. oh, okay. I thought you were asking yeah. me if the dude who plays Simon is hot, and I'm like, no. Right, but he's also hot like in any period of, of clothing. Yeah, like, yes, that's why I was like, or none. Or none. None. Oh, okay, yes. Also, also, D, he's going to be in the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Can we just pause and mm. talk about that for a second? Yeah, he hosted Saturday Night Live this week, too, which was interesting. I liked yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. You know, if they did cast him as James Bond, which is like a room going around the internet, I actually would watch that James Bond film. I'll just oh, say that. I would be here for it. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know who's not attractive? Daniel Craig. Oh, I just realized in all of our like wondering, actually, there is a stable couple on Bridgerton, and I really loved every one of their scenes. Um, and I'm actually really interested in where their story is going to go. Um, Will and Alice Mondrick, the boxer, and his wife, yeah. who oh, were created true. for the show. Yeah, I think they're a good example because they're what I was talking about. They had an issue. I mean, they were invented for the series. They're not in the book, or at least not the first book that I read. So I don't know if they ever show up. But for the series. They have a marriage and they have a reasonable marital problem of, look, we've got to figure out what's the best way to save our money. And do you want to throw this fight or not? And like, I, I found that interesting and compelling. Like, I I have been a married person who needs, who needs money. So to be fair, I'm not arguing that people shouldn't have problems because that's boring. I'm arguing that you can have problems, but be married and still like, absolutely on someone or insert ridiculous thing here. Um, But actually that's interesting that you mentioned that they're just for the show because actually like quite a few characters were invented for the show that Mm -hmm. are both like outside, like the titled um, aristocracy, like um, Madame Delacroix and Sienna, who I thought was a really great character who deserved better than Anthony Bridgerton, but whatever. And (laughs) and also like, um, you know, the actually like Queen Charlotte and uh, King George on the other end of the spectrum of like rank, they're not really in the books. And typically like you read an Austin novel, you might forget that there's like a queen um, (laughs) and a king in England because no one wants to write about them. Mm -hmm. So like this, this is like actually a pretty like interesting thing where you see a like wide like spectrum of like the world of London. I do think it's interesting, the whole Sienna thing, because you really did get to see how people who weren't aristocracy, but weren't like destitute Mm -hmm. were interacting with society. Because for the beginning, the first few episodes when she was around, I was like, oh, she's a prostitute. But then I was like, oh, wait, no, she's an opera singer, which is actually, I would think somebody that, you know, that's a skill, like a very good skill. Although I suppose like courtesans all had skills. So maybe mm-hmm. this is sort of the end of that era where your 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 hookers are actually still educated and what. Um, but I just thought it was really interesting because she wasn't like, you know, living out on the streets. You know, she mm-hmm. was she had a job. She made her own money. And yet she still had to sort of figure out how to milk the aristocracy to be settled. And she's in a weird place because so I, I mean, I, I understand Hannah's point. She deserves better than Anthony Bridgerton. But I also thought that their relationship for me was one of the most compelling things on the show. Just watching her navigate that and 
it's it's the one thing that makes me feel sorry for Anthony, right? Is that he appears to have legitimate feelings. He's a dick, but he he appears to have legitimate feelings that are, you know, you sort of get that he is being controlled by this cast system just as much as Daphne or anybody else. And I think you only get that because of Sienna. Right. Yeah, I agree that definitely it was she was there to make him, you know, to make you feel sad for him because he couldn't be with the girl he loved because she wasn't, you know, quote unquote, good enough. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you're like, you're a dick. I I, I don't know if she comes. I don't know if she's going to come back or not, but I find her interesting. So I would hope she does. I hope she does. She's cool. Mm-hmm. She is cool. In the in the book, she does. Oh, does she? Well, I don't remember if that's the exact name, but yes, in the second book, she it's that's where they got it that he was in love and having an affair with this opera singer. Okay. That, mm-hmm. um, and Kate, it's been um, finds out about it. Anthony is courting her sister, and Kate finds out about the opera singer, and of course. You know, wackiness mm-hmm. ensues. <laughs> These are characters that I do not know yet. But <laughs> so, if they're going to continue that, I mean, I guess they'd have to, in order to make it interesting, they have to continue the affair, which I'm okay with because, yeah, sure, it's a cheating narrative, but I, but I think it's an interesting one that I want to see resolve. You know, yeah, it would be great if there was a role for a woman on television that wasn't I'm the mistress. Yeah, I understand that. But on the other hand, I I I you can add that and she's doing a good enough job at this story that I want to see her play it out. So I feel like there was a conclusion to her arc with Anthony mm-hmm. at the end of the first season. Um mm-hmm. and I I would really like I I I don't know um if some of these background characters will come back um or at least in the capacity that they were in the first season. Because it feels like like uh you know like Sienna um, in particular, like her role did focus on her relationship with Anthony, but she also had a, a good like friendship. And actually, like um, I think one of the interesting things about the show we didn't talk about last time was um, the female friendships of the show, like her relationship with Madame Delacroix and like mm-hmm. how they like hung out and like got drunk together in the dress shop. Um, and that was just delightful. <laughs> And, you know, uh, you know, like female friendships in the Regency period and in the 19th century were very important. Uh, Sharon Marcus has written a book called Between Women. And if you're thinking that sounds also like it's about like relationships that are romantic, you're absolutely correct. It covers like different types of female relationships. But what she says, like even, you know, female friendships were important because the network of female friends could help you find a relationship, which feels true. Well, I think the problem with having having Sienna come back. I mean, I think you're right that her, her story sort of had an end. It had a resolve. She said, you know, he said, I'm going to be with you anyway. And she said, dude, no. Mm -hmm. And, and the problem is, is if you try and bring that back, that's going to undercut making Anthony the hero of the romantic story where he finds true love with this other woman. Mm hmm. But it sounds like so, you're telling me, is, are, wait, and I don't know the, I don't know the book. Are you saying that in the book, one of the biggest big roadblocks in the way of his relationship with the other woman is that he's having an affair with Sienna, right? N- no. Okay. Um, I mean, one of the biggest roadblocks is, well, Anthony himself, like he, was, <laughs> <laughs> he, he refuses to love anyone. Yes. Okay. And, and, you know, he had, well, in the book anyway, he has reasons, you know, for that. Um, so this is part of why he he kind of 
kept up his relationship with Sienna is because he knows he can't be with her. He he doesn't really love her. It's not a serious thing. Uh-huh. So. So that's different than the show, because I, I mean, at least for right. me, I felt like I felt like he did love her in the show. He's just, yes. you know, which I think is better because it makes him marginally less of a jerk. Mm-hmm. So and, and I do feel like leaves him in a similar position where he's like, I don't I will not love anyone. Love mm-hmm. is like the fake. And it's like, all right, bro, I'm sure it gives you a reason <laughs> to care about him rather than saying, I don't care if you like without her right now you know i would be like i don't care if dude gets married or not fuck him so i so i think that's something what's with all these guys making these grand like statements like i can never have a baby i can never fall in love like it's (laughs) is that like a like i mean i know it's not you know but i feel like is this like a regency trope (laughs) i think it's it's falls into the trope of the of the regency romance in the sense that men were not supposed to we're not supposed to love we're not supposed to fall in love and so that if you admit that you're in love it's a weakness mm-hmm. and, and it, that's not the case for anthony i mean i can i can tell you what it is i don't know if you want i mean i have no idea if they're going to keep it so i have no idea if it's a spoiler but this whole show is spoilers today so okay. so the Anthony's story starts out with the fact that his father died, right? Mm-hmm. right? And what happens is he's convinced that he can never be a greater man than his father. He can never surpass his father, including in life. So he is convinced that he will die on or before his 38th year, which is when his father died. And that is why he does not want to love his wife, because it will be that much harder knowing that he's going to die. And if she loves him, then she'll be all more upset, et cetera. As motivation to go, it's kind of convoluted and dumb. To be fair, to be fair, Simon had the stupidest logic as well. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, like, it was a weird daddy issues. Father died, so it it really affected him. Is how they sort of play it, right? So, and this, of course, is then why he resolves he's not going to marry for love. He's going to marry someone who will make a good wife. Then, of course, falls winds up falling in love, which terrifies mm-hmm. him. But I mean, essentially, you're saying so. So the problem is he's an idiot. Yes. I mean, like that's. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he's a jerk. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about genre tropes of the soap opera, well, here we are. It'll be interesting to see if they go into that. Because mm-hmm. you certainly didn't get that impression that he like had such a daddy issue from the interaction we had with him this season. Yeah. Although the the bee buzzing around was uh I think you no, know, they're trying to allude to that. One of those little, you know, uh Easter eggs that people who've read the books are like, oh, the father died from a bee sting. Yeah, yeah oh, they, they okay. mentioned that like in passing. I think didn't they? It was just like really brief. Well, they did. I didn't catch it. If if it was mentioned, I did yeah. not pick up on it. And I, I yeah, I watched the season twice, and I didn't pick up on it either. Oh, I knew it. So maybe maybe I just knew it from like research. I don't know, but I I did know, and I don't remember reading it. But I, I don't know the world's a blur. There's a <laughs> pandemic going on. There. That plays into oh, actually Anthony getting married. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait a minute. There's a pandemic on. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
<laughs> and then we all watched this show in like a fever dream, like 48 hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked a little bit last time about, you know, how popular the show was. And I find it fascinating because it is still, I'm still seeing people just sort of picking it up, which is something that it's, it's not dominating the conversation like it did four weeks ago, but it's still out there. That That's some staying power. So I get why it's coming back. And I I was talking with some people who were, I was talking with a guy who was watching it and he was, and he, and he was very much like, Oh, this is supposed to be a girl show. And I was like, really? It's a, it's a, it's a Regency romance. I mean, how many of those have you watched before? By by Shonda, you know, <laughs> like, and he's like, oh yeah, I guess so. So I, I, I to be fair, the showrunner is a man. She, okay. She's just an executive producer. I'm not. I, I mean, you're right. Like yeah. traditionally speaking, people have been like Regency romance yeah. women. I'm just saying. Uh, I just want to make it clear that Shonda's not the showrunner because yeah, yeah, yeah she's yeah. producer. Mm-hmm. It's her her Netflix 18 picture production deal or whatever it is. It's uh, she's got some obscenely awesome like does contract mean, with them. Does that mean somehow that COVID is eating? away at toxic masculinity such that men can enjoy regency television without like retribution i would be delightful because i would love for there to be a silver lining to this last year i mean i don't know it it is i mean it's not why this this show did not strike him as a tradition like i don't know like i guess i'm curious like is that a statement about like this is a show that's just for everybody or it was something about like the way that the show was presented did not strike him as this is a show marketed towards women. I think a, I, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Like I, I think his point was, Oh, this is just a good, you know, drama that's produced for everyone. Like all other shows, which I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wonder if it's like, just because it's like, cause I feel like a similar thing could almost be said about the like Queens gambit. Although I think that appeal is a little bit broader, but it is still like, and I wouldn't call that a show that's like made for a primarily female audience, but I think it appeals to a female audience in a way that like not every TV show does, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I also I think there's something to do with just the way that Netflix, like, because at this point we're watching everything through Netflix. Like everything is a Netflix show, whether it's actually a Netflix produced show or not. Like, mm-hmm. is it just the fact that like, because we're all on Netflix and Netflix just puts it up at the top of their bar, we're just like, oh, that is a show for me because Netflix is just like says it is. I think they've got a little bit of control like that, but to the amount yeah. of penetration they've gotten, I don't, I, that wouldn't, that would only work if it's good enough to keep going, right? Like, well, if you look at Netflix other shows, I mean everything from the Marvel shows to mm-hmm. the The Witcher, etc. It's um, Woo Assassin, Warrior Nun. Mm-hmm. They're kind of building their cachet that you know that that maybe guys are kind of like, oh, it's a new Netflix show. Okay, try it. From like a user interface perspective, like at least on the I, I don't use it on my computer, but like. I mean, I just noticed on the Netflix app, like Netflix originals are like privileged, not in search results, but like on the main page, you are going to see Netflix originals more often than not. Like, so it's not, I I think saying that they have very little control is a little misleading. Like it's their platform. Well, yeah, yeah. And and they could artificially like, sure. I I don't think that they do because they're all very popular, but they're also very popular. I I think they do because like, you're not, I mean, like Nicole mentioned Warrior Nun. Warrior Nun they were all in on, but it hasn't gotten anywhere near the cultural sure. penetration that that Bridgerton did. I've um, never heard of this. Right. Yeah, look, there you go. And I don't <laughs> think Warrior Nun's a comic book superhero, and they lost their Marvel li- license, so this was the attempt to yeah. get it back. 
that's that's what it was and you know it's like if they were going to push anything that's the show i would expect them to like you know try to force everyone to watch hannah you you were i mean you're talking about the queens and stuff i i am curious about what you had to say about um uh, i don't even want to limit it to just regency specifically the whole period drama of it historical ish when we talked about this last time from the gender perspective, it surprises me a little bit that it did so well, but it also surprises me that it did so well, less from the gender, but more from the, it is a, you know, historical fiction is not the best selling. Now it's never a poorly selling, uh, um, selling market, but it's also, but it's always like sort of, um, I don't know if we're going to say A, B, C, D, F, it's always at a B level, right? Like there's never, it's never been, at least in our lifetimes, at the superhero level. It's never been at the cowboy level. It's never been, but it's always been, you know, just sort of there. It's endured for a long time. So it surprises me that it's gotten so much, so much play just being this 18th century or 19th century, you know, um, narrative even, you know, like just the, the, the weirdness of it being a period drama at all and getting attention outside of who it's, you know, who it's targeted at, that seems odd to me. And I think that that kind of ties into like your thoughts on, you know, how it displays empire. Like, cause I wonder if it's, um, it's about as historically accurate as game of Thrones, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't have, it doesn't have dragons. So yeah. veneer of historical accuracy yeah. though, I think in a way that like, yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about this show is it's, I th- like there are some shows that I feel like, which of course I can't think of a good example, but there are some shows that are like are sort of speculative history or like alternate history in the way that Bridgerton is that are more like obviously fantasy. I mean, Game of Thrones is maybe one, but again, mm-hmm. yeah, dragons. So it's like it's own thing. What's that? What's that? Uh, key Castle one, High Castle, Man in the High Castle, Man in the High Castle. Yeah, that one. Well, that's sci-fi. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, well, that's speculative history in a very obvious way. Yeah, right? No, I guess that's well, true. Speculative present. It, yeah. yeah it, it's, it complicated. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I think that I think I find it interesting about Bridgerton is that, like, it has the facade of historical accuracy without anyone actually believing it's historically accurate, which I feel like is unusual because usually when shows, I feel like I see shows that do that. There's always like a, 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 a community I see online that are like, what? No, this is not historically accurate, which might be because I'm part of like historical fashion nerd land and the algorithm yeah. knows that, that I don't I'm see more- those people as much. Because, but it, like, I do think it, it, it is, it, it, Bridgerton does make it like sort of, I think, obvious in a way that it's fantasy, even though it like has the aesthetic. And I'm wondering if that's true. In a way, I don't is know. Is that true of non-nerds, right? Like you are you are literally a literary nerd. You have friends who are in this world and you have friends who aren't in this world and but they're in the historical fashion world, right? Like they're like you are plugged into a circle where right. I don't think they're- where people are gonna be like Okay, yeah, it's not supposed to be accurate. It's, you know, it's a fantasy idiot. Like you're going to get people who just have that. I don't know that I don't know that like and I don't know I didn't ask him because I didn't think to, but like my friend who was like, "Oh, wow, this isn't supposed, you know, this this isn't supposed to be an everybody show." Like I don't know that he would recognize the historical inaccuracies. Um I think he like I mean even even so much as the Would he think oh, this is like this is a history? I guess what I'm saying like does he like but are people taking this as this is history? Like that's what I'm I saying. Don't like, I don't. I don't think I haven't seen anyone talk about this as if this is history. Right. But I'm wondering. It's kind of hard to when one of the main leads is black. Right. But does 
do they care enough to think of the accuracy, right? Like, like I'm wondering if they think it's historically accurate in the same way they think Hamilton is historically accurate. I think it's, no, I think it's actually, it's a moot point. I don't think it actually matters for Bridgerton in a way that like for Hamilton, I think it like people are like, Oh yeah, there's a story like there's, there's it's, it's historically accurate, you know, to a point, to a point. Whereas I think for Bridgerton, it's just sort of like, here is like history as aesthetics rather than we are looking at this as like, this is history and I'm learning something from it. Well, okay. So, like, I think that actually, well, one, there are the racists on the internet who I'm not going to say more about. Yeah, sure. they're, who, they're who, unhelpful. Who, like, have been using, quote, historical accuracy as a way to criticize the show. And to you, I say, sir, go home and yeah, yeah. read some actual history books if you care so much and understand that there were people of color in London in the 18th and 19th centuries. Again, Many of them free. Um, though, of course, yeah. racism still existed. And, uh, but to more, slavery to, before we did. So to the, to the more interesting, uh, and fruitful, uh, conversation about historical accuracy, there are a lot of critics, um, like academics, um, who like are thinking about like historical accuracy in the sense that there is this tension between basically the speculative concept and the show Bridgerton that Queen Charlotte and King George married and it fixed racism and everything is fine now. And the like historical realities of empire, like um, I, I will link in the show notes, um, some very good analysis of like Simon licking a spoon of sugar. And of course, sugar was an import from the plantations. And I've talked before on the show about um, critics like Eugenia Zorowski, who wrote um, A Taste of China. And like how like her work shows that like imported objects were embedded in everyday life. Like if you read a 19th century novel um, and you pay attention to like the furniture or whatever, and this is like goes back to like a long conversation about what if the curtains are just blue? No, actually, if you pay attention to the furniture or like the objects in the house, you might see the spoils of empire just littered throughout the text in the background. Um, Emma in Jane Austen, they talk about how for her fortune comes from other sources, potentially empire. I mean, like, uh, you know, just because it, you know, um, Emma doesn't venture beyond Highbury doesn't mean that like her world isn't deeply connected to the colonies. And I, I went on a long rant like two years ago, if you remember about the Jane Austen role-playing game, Good Society and how, they were interested in a like very superficial like inclusivity, but they didn't want to deal with the complicated intricacies of race and empire. And there's there's always this tension there. And um, you know, like I mean, like the that the very real fact is is that you know land um, and like estates, um, places like where you know Simon is, were deeply harmful and exploitive. And, um, you know, uh, some critics like uh, Marlene Dot, who um, like studies Haiti, talks about how, you know, in existing Bridgerton actually erases Haiti, which had like which like overthrew slavery uh, in the Haitian Revolution and had its own like black aristocracy. Uh, and I will link to that article in the show notes as well. So you can read her fabulous argument. Um, so this is all to say. Bridgerton doesn't really address empire except for the fact that Will's father like freed himself from slavery and like there are like the spoils of empire all around. Um, I'm really interested in season two and how they're introducing the new female lead 
um, which I won't say more about because, like, I guess spoilers for season two, book two. But they reimagined that character as being of Indian descent. And, you know, the East India Company had its hooks in India at the time. And, like, even Pirates of the Caribbean knew that the East India Company was, like, real bad. So I'm very interested in, like... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm just interested in what they're going to do, so... There, there's my empire rant. Like you, you can just never <laughs> escape from empire, is what I'm saying. So, like, I'm kind of curious of like, okay, and I, I mainly know this because of talking to Hannah for many, many years. Like, I'm kind of curious, like, how they're gonna do like this sort of like modern style like, storytelling about the 19th century without talking about empire, especially considering they've done the like, like they have like made like they have changed like racial representation. And like they have this whole side story about slavery, which was really not addressed in the first season, which I feel like was a giant plot hole. We think we talked about that the last episode. But like, can they get away with not talking about Empire? Are they trying to? I I think they can because they'll do. And and again, this goes to the original question, right? Um, I don't know that the regular viewer, the not, you know, the not an academic, the not Regency sure. nerd, the not, you know, like, and I don't mean just academics. I mean, like, if you are a regular reader of romance novels to where you've read, I'm sorry, of Regency era romance novels in particular, to where you've read dozens or hundreds of these, you might have those questions. But Fredericton's got an, a massive crossover appeal of people who mostly watch superhero shows. I mean, I'm not exaggerating there, right? So does that question matter to them at all? Or can they... I mean, okay, well, 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 okay, okay, okay. well let, let's let's say Thor Ragnarok did uh, the yeah. mo- was one of the most explicitly like mm-hmm. decolonial kind of like narratives. Yeah, because Taika uh, Waititi is a great, yeah. a great director, yeah. um, but he dealt with it. I'm saying, did he have? Yeah, to, yeah. you know, yeah, well, like mm-hmm. they hand waved away racism in the first season. They're like, oh yeah, uh, married a black woman, racism went away, we're good, right? So, do you think that they'll? I, I wonder if they'll just do that and. And then really piss Han off, right? Like if they continue to do that, like because I think that's my that's my main like frustration with the show. I mean, I love I love you know many aspects of the show, but that is like such a glaring pothole pl- pothole plot hole. Wow, I mean, both uh, both can work. Sure, uh, and like I, I guess my thing is it's like you. Yeah, I hear I hear like the Marvel audience and whatever, but also like I guess the people I see in like my like we're talking about like my little corner of, of media world, like these are the people that, that consume period dramas out in the rag, which are probably at least like if not a major I, I don't think that's that's a small enough segment. Like I, I would be surprised if that was majority of, of Bridgerton's audience. I think it is like a core audience though. I agree. But I, but my it, answer there it, is the exact same as it is for so with when it's a superhero show, people will go like like so on a superhero show they'll do something like they'll change the gender of a character or they'll change they'll, they'll make it a minority they'll you know they'll diversify the cast and people you know, there's a small subset of incels who are going to like maybe actually boycott, right? But the majority of them, like the reason you can change the ancient one to a woman in Doctor Strange is because what are you going to do? Not watch Doctor Strange? Like the like the people they might care about it a lot, but if you're the if you're a person who's super into Regency romance, like it's the best one on the air. You're gonna not watch it because we didn't do the thing that you really care about. Yeah, uh-huh. we've trapped I see, you. I but I see people all the time who watch a lot of period dramas that basically like. Are like nope, I'm not going to watch this because it's historically garbage. 
Okay. Because it's like I think and I think it's specifically because like this is a story like these are stories that you can get mm-hmm. in a lot of other medium like audiobooks, actual books, like in a way that like you so. But those don't have glitter. That's what I'm saying is they 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 went and they did something that they they made it an, an entertaining enough show that I mean we we're, we're doing it right now. We recognize the inaccuracies, and each one of us is like, yeah, but I'll give it a pass because there was glitter. You know, <laughs> like I mean, yeah, like, well, that's, so I, like I would give it a pass for season two. Okay, but, like I might give it a pass. Like I, get, I mean, obviously, I give it a pass for season one because I was fascinated. Like, what are they going to do with this? Mm-hmm. I think though, if they continue doing the same thing, like basically, if it continues being a fluff TV show, mm-hmm. I It'll think it will it. lose a lot of its appeal yeah. because there's lots of good fluff mm-hmm. television. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing is that there's so much potential to do a more interesting story here and have a lot more depth in a way that's really engaging that I, I like I don't know if I would have a patience for a, a second season or a third season. The thing that's really that, frustrating ahead, I think sorry. is that we are recognizing that they obviously stepped out of the like white people only can be in England, you know, London, England at the time, kind of like mindset, right? Like it's mm-hmm. a, it was a clear, distinct choice to make the cast what they made it. And then to acknowledge, mm-hmm. however, briefly to be like, oh yeah, no, Queen Charlotte, she's black. So everything's cool now. Cause they basically say that. And then you mm-hmm. think, okay, they're going to, they're going to touch on that eventually. Like, like, why would you just throw that line in and then wave it off? Especially in this cultural moment, right? Like right. there is a lot happening right now. And it just seems disingenuous, especially coming from Shondaland to just be like, yeah, yeah no racism. That's whatever. Everything's cool, man. Like, I think we're yeah. almost expecting it because it's like you, you did it. You have everybody's attention. Now fucking teach them something. <laughs> <laughs> If they want it, like, and I would totally understand the argument for like, oh, we just want to make a Regency drama and have fun doing a historical period thing without having to talk about race, but also have it be inclusive as far as casting. I think you absolutely could have done that. It should not have then been a plot point. I think as soon as they made it a plot point where they Mm -hmm. made like, then, then I think that that you're exactly right. It built an expectation that this is going to be part of the story. Like, cause I was in some ways kind of surprised, like, cause the first couple episodes made me think like, oh no, this is just a diverse cast in a period drama and we're just going to roll with it, mm-hmm. which is fine, but yes, right, which is totally fine. And I think equally, you know, equally, not only equally value, valid, but I think equally valuable as far as what Sean, like, you know, what's, what they're doing. But you, I, I guess in my mind, it's like, you can't have it both ways, right? Like you can't build the expectation of we're going to engage on the subject of race and, and in, in the 19th century in some capacity but then back out at the last second. And I, I right. do have to, I have to throw in here that uh, Bridgerton's gotten the most attention, but this is not the only show to right. have like people yes. of color cast in 19th century periods. Uh, David Copperfield, that's colorblind casting, which is slightly different, but stars death hell. So I'm going to mm. mention it. Um, also it's Dickens. <laughs> uh, another, another Dickens um, uh, BBC adaptation, Little Dorrit, they cast, character that was white in the books as black um caddy quorum and the and, and in doing so like that um role took on a whole different meaning recently mm-hmm. sanditon uh featured jane austen's distinctly black heroine um and they expanded her role um it, and and so on and so forth i mean like some of these are like had yeah. varying like um degrees of success in terms of representation i actually just attended a talk by jansa new york um where um gretchen um dr gretchen holbrook grazina talked about uh representation in bridgerton sanditon um 
and David Copperfield in relation to like representations um, in the 19th century. It was very interesting. I wish I could link to it, but um, there's not a public recording. Uh, point is, you should buy her books. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> like, and, and listen to her BBC podcast series, which were linked in the original Bridgerton episode. Fantastic. Um, but, you know, like, like this is not the first one, to, the first show to like do this. It's just the right. one that's gotten like the most attention. And I yeah. also just wonder, and you're going to say, well, Hannah, you always feel this way because you're anxious all the time. Can there ever be like guilt-free enjoyment of a Regency period drama because of just how steeped an empire and how much yeah. like you owe to empire to produce the quote fun parts of the world. And I asked this question two years ago uh, when I was talking about role playing in Jane Austen games and I still don't have an answer. So I kick it to you. My answer to that question though is for you. No, there is no way to make a Regency period drama that won't have problems that Hannah Lee Rogers is going to like be annoyed by. It's impossible. There's no way to make a superhero show that Christopher Maverick is not going to be annoyed by. It can't be done. I love, you know, like, the, the only like it's pop culture. Pop culture cannot be perfect because someone's going to make, you know, in the interest of story, they're going to make not even mistakes. They're going to make choices that we're going to be critical of because we're nerds that went to college forever in order to be able to criticize crap like this. Like that's like what we do. We have a whole podcast about it. So I, I don't think so. I don't think you're ever going to, you know, the only, there's yeah. only been one perfect show in the history of television and it's rare. No. We're going to avoid that. We're going to, we're going to gloss yeah, up by that. No, and Riverdale's not perfect. I'm lying, right? I'm critical of Riverdale all the time. So. Rightly so. And I love it. Which, yeah, I think also yeah. what Hannah's talking about is like, there, well, is it, I don't know. It's like the separation between. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's difficult. Like, like you're, you're in some ways you're irresponsible not to acknowledge empire. But then once you acknowledge empire, it's a question of like what you do with it. Right. So this reminds me, it reminds me a little bit of the, like the way I feel about like the representation of like race or like marginalized people historically or whatever in video games. Right. Because it's a similar problem. And I think this is probably why they've made the decision to kind of like sidestep the racial thing, even though they introduce it in the first season. So I kind of get it, which is why I'm interested in seeing how they deal with it is because you have this issue of like, okay, like you're going to have like, say like, you know, uh, you're going to address race in a video game. But the problem that becomes because that like a a medium that many, many people play for escapism then become like, again, enthusiasts of historical historical dress. There's a big conversation of basically how do you grapple with being a person of color and also do look like uh, and because it because I think for a lot of people both wanting to represent the history of what actually I'm in historical period stuff like aesthetically pleasing and cool as it is I totally get that it's also like you're not acknowledging right. the historical reality and then are you allowing people to have a mis like a misconception of history in a way that's damaging like it's because it's, it's what i know from from hannah is like it's the jane austen problem right like right. you're talking about a you're talking about a time period hannah studies a time period which one of the most defining you know aspects of that time period is this problem so you have yeah. a choice you can 
you can deal with it and then annoy people or you can be fun and ignore it and then annoy people. And then annoy people. And, right. Right. So, so like, what I, do you do? And I, so like to, I guess, transition a little bit, but also stay on high. Like I, what I, I talked about this last episode, but what really was interesting to me about that one scene between Queen Charlotte and King George um, I should say that like King George at this point in his life had um, multiple like physical and mental health disabilities. Uh, you can see in the show, like he's portrayed as having dementia. They tie his, his relationship to Queen Charlotte to precarity. And um, I, I do think that, you know, um, it's not just like totally a fluff romance because you can see at any point George could change his mind and thus change the fate of England, which also makes me wonder how they're portraying like his mental health in this as like just like kind of you know uh, the the quote mad king i mean you know in hamilton um is kind of a joke um when they portray king george uh king george is not taken very seriously by an american audience because of the revolution <laughs> well i think it's, it's interesting just comparing it to hamilton like right in the hamilton cast he was the only white person and also like what you just kind of said about how he could just at any point change his mind and kind of change everything it's like no he's the the embodiment of white privilege mm-hmm. yeah and it, and actually that that's really interesting too when thinking about um how you know simon's father was like raised to like be the duke of hastings and he enacts like he you know simon's father is black but he is extremely ableist towards Simon Stammer. And like, there seems to like uh, disability scholars, you know, tell us that there is an intersection between like racism and ableism, but it seems mm-hmm. to like kind of converge there where like uh, other scholars talk about this too, where like the, the Duke is like put into like a position where he's like carrying on the authority of all the bad, like baggage of England um, and enacting mm-hmm. it upon his son. And that is like horrifying on many levels. Um, I just realized the obvious, I mean, to speak to the flaws, if racism doesn't exist in their world because King George married Queen Charlotte, then that could not have been long enough away for Simon's father to be what Simon's father is. (laughs) You know, like it, 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 like he seems to, he seems to have a lot of genetically bred in privilege of class, not genetically, you know, like an upbringing that he would have to have been older than King George, George to have, you know, you know, like he's, he's too old to have been in the period when Queen Charlotte was, and, and he got married. They would have had to abolish racism at least a generation ago, or he wouldn't be that guy. And, you know, actually, like, I realized that um, the, the, like, final kind of quote about Simon Stammer at the end of the series is Daphne speaking to Lady Danbury, and she says, you helped him, you, he, you know, you helped him overcome his impediment, which, like, using the word overcome has its own mm-hmm. baggage in the disability community, sure. and especially thinking about stutters with, like, Joe Biden or mm-hmm. even Amanda Gorman. And then Daphne tells Simon, just because something is not perfect does not make it less worthy to be loved. And it's strange that, like, the Duke of Hastings actually kind of is the long, like, the long shadow (laughs) of, like, all the bad things in the world. Because, you know, you at least feel like something for King George because the queen loves him and he's very sad about the death of his daughter and there's like some humanization there, but I don't think that they give the Duke any sort of space. He doesn't care about his wife when she dies. He's just like, I want a son. And then he's a dick. 
um, <laughs> to Simon. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I think that, like, even as this show tries to move away from stereotypes and other people talked about this and we've talked about this, they continue to re-inscribe them sometimes by their casting choices, which includes um, Marina Thompson's storyline, which I hope to God they change from the books. I'll, that's all I'll say. <laughs> um, I still don't know. I mean, I know little bits and pieces from what you guys have told me, but I know. Uh, but I, but again, we talked about this last episode. She's barely when we, we hinted at her and we said we were going to talk about this. She's barely in the book. So this is what you want to talk about is very much an invention of the show for this season. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, um, she she also like clearly struggles with depression throughout the back half of this season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's put in a position where I feel like she is utterly helpless and to some extent, probably has some SD because they just yeah. ship her away, presumably because they know she's pregnant or or maybe they like I get the feeling that perhaps she was also being abused back at the farm a little bit. Like it's that was not a good situation for her. Yeah. And she's only kept at the Featheringtons, which by the way, can I just say that the Featherington name just per and then whistle down just like perfectly fit with the whole like 18th, 19th century aesthetic, like you know, Dickens has characters <laughs> called Honey Thunder anyway, aside. Um, she's oh, only can you say the word honey thunder? Yes. It's amazing. I'm gonna name a cat that one day. Anyway. Um, oh great. Anyway, uh <laughs> like she's only kept at the Featherington home because Mr. Featherington owes her father a debt. So that's like also another like way that she's right. sort of being marketed right yeah like at best at best she's being used in some kind of weird pawn of her father possibly to get him get her to like fall in love with somebody else because he doesn't like approve of her you know the person she's in love with like at best and then at worst it's sort of like great like he knows that she's pregnant and is sending her away because like that's a like he thinks that that's a grounds for disowning your child so it's just yeah it's not great it's not great also okay not a 19th century person but like the tea thing <laughs> like i i don't okay i know nothing about medicine i know very little about herbal medicine this is not a thing i just i just well, in my in my mind absolutely a thing uh, well yeah well in my mind like, before you explain this like she just became like you know like matlock you know i don't know spit about law i don't know spit about medicine <laughs> just an old country <laughs> yeah. I mean, like okay i guess this is so my experience watching the show yeah. is she basically goes to the pantry a place for making food puts a bunch of things in a tea and thinks that this is going to cause a medical like give her an abortion right mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a way to cause an abortion through natural medicine i just don't think the pantry of the average like upper class <laughs> british family is the place it's gonna have it it's gonna be wrong i i thought that that was the case and i was very angry about it when i watched it because and i actually rewatched it today right before this because i was like what the f does she put in that and okay. so you can clearly see she picks juniper berries and dandelion root and then they do like a very good job of like the shot only says like dried and then like one letter and it's like cl a clove is it does it is it cloves <laughs> like you do not know what the other stuff is and then the last thing she grabs is not even labeled but it is a hundred percent a handful of rose petals okay so but the kitchen um, where you keep your arsenic sure okay well right when i was like that's ridiculous she <laughs> had in her pocket in case of emergency that didn't appear <laughs> because um, they, they have the mythbusters problem of they don't want to accidentally teach people how to potentially kill themselves 
Correct. <laughs> yes. But what I found really interesting is that like the really, really common thing. So like I should say that this is in no way like not something that people knew there. Mm-hmm. I did Daphne know how to do this. Obviously not because Daphne didn't know shit. Yeah, but, an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how babies work, so correct. Right. So she certainly wouldn't know how to get rid of a baby. But what I find really interesting is that um, one of the most common like things that you could do to give yourself an abortion at this time period was ergot. You would give yourself ergot poison, and like and this. Wait, hold on. Ergot is not winning an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, and some R word. Correct. Um, no, that's uh, Salem witchcraft trials. Exactly, ergot is like a fungus that grows on on grain, uh, and okay. they think it's the thing that made all the people see the devil in Salem because they all ate tainted grain over the winter. Awesome. Uh, similarities to LSD. It's yeah, it's what LSD is derived from. Huh. Okay. So it is some high quality shit. <laughs> <laughs> Mad afterwards. Where can I get? Don't don't let don't let the don't let anyone ever say that the show was not helpful. Yes, educational. Um, but no, it's really interesting. So it was totally used like for a very long time. Like this has been. They have known that it was ergot, and they have known that it is. They used it in like to quit, quote unquote quicken labor back in the 1500s like they knew uh, that this is what but that's did. like hanging out in the average i guess the part that, is, that, that, that like bothered me was the average pantry well they're not average though they're they're really rich and and they've got <laughs> okay you know, sure um, and by rich you mean deeply in debt one keeper well, got yeah. uh, in 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 the like 19th century pantry well, probably not, unless your grains went bad. I mean, you would have stored grains, and if she knew what to look for, like all she it is is like okay. the top of it. Like you would go into your wheat in stores, and you'd be like, "Oh, this wheat's starting to go," and like I can use this. Now, mm. do I think she did? Probably not. But what I well, what I'm not. trying to say is that well, she didn't know I what she was doing. Correct. But I also think it's really interesting is that I didn't think that this would have been, uh, you know, quite as common knowledge as it was. And so I did I did some research over the past week. And apparently um, this was incredibly common in Europe. They absolutely um, like prescribed it. And so what I found and how I found this is that there was um, European basically Europeans knew that it could poison you like they knew that it could get rid of your baby. But it also like caused a lot of damage to your body. Um, sure. And then when when people in America figured out that it got rid of babies, they were like, "Woo!" and they just took it like willy nilly. Um, and so oh. in 1822, um, the uh, date, some guy named David Horsack, who was from Columbia, basically said in 1822, hey, we should probably stop recommending this as like a, an abortion thing and only use it after babies are born, because then it does less damage to the mother. So it is actually still what they use for postpartum hemorrhaging now. Like it is, that is still hmm. drug. But they definitely knew in the early 1800s that this is that it caused this. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, so be be wary of green tea. And I will say that, like actually, like some 18th century literature definitely alludes to abortions because I remember Mall Flanders by Dan Bow being like, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't get an abortion. But maybe it'd be cool if, like, things happen naturally. Right. That's a quote. How does information, like, circulate? Like, uh, do do people, like, because it's like, I'm assuming this is not something being published in, like, the average ladies' magazine. 
So I can circles. I? Yeah, yeah. Hey, and I okay, think, historically, probably, but yeah, that would be my guess. <laughs> so I put a picture in the thing of of um from the 1840s of like quote unquote the of midwife essentially that performed abortions, and then there was this really weird shift. So I also found out in, in the early like up until about 1820, abortions were considered a misdemeanor as long as you couldn't feel the baby kick. Huh. Wow. So interesting. It was totally like, oh, all right. As long as it hasn't quickened, I think, which I think is what when the baby starts to move around, then mm-hmm. they're like, you shouldn't do that. But it's not it wasn't punishable. You know, it was a, it was a misdemeanor. And then after that point, if you like, no, that is like a felony. You have killed. You've basically committed murder. Um, and that's where they drew the line. Um, and then so apparently it started to get like much like we see now it started to become more and more conservative in the way that they dealt with um <laughs> the other thing i will say is that i think a lot of people know penny royal as a, an herb that like a lot of people think of um which again i was like the kitchen thing was what bothered me too right i was like why would you keep these things in your kitchen if they're toxic well apparently up until very recently people use penny royal as a culinary herb oh whoops it, it was something you would use to season like pork and um and all sorts of things so it mm-hmm. would have potentially especially in an upper class thing i actually found a company that is currently selling um penny royal as like high <laughs> um like it's like it's an article from vogue and it's basically like here's this fancy ass company that's selling like you know, bespoke herbs for your culinary adventures. And it's like, here's oregano from our Margos and here's flowers from like the Mediterranean. Here's Pennyroyal and here's fresh parsley seeds. Like, so there's definitely still okay. people using it culinarily. So there you go. So I was, I will admit that I yelled at the TV because I didn't <laughs> think there would be anything in that pantry that would work. Um, and apparently it does. Are there Interesting. So I'm going to link that weird Vogue article too. Yeah, I, I love a weird Vogue article. I mean, also technically licorice root tea in like massive quantities is also really bad for you, apparently. Yeah, a lot of stuff. So, so do you guys want to hear a very TMI um, story? And I, you, you can put this on the air. I don't care. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> for the um, Super Bowl, I made parsley. Um, oh, gosh. Falafel flatbread. And it was like this beautiful dark green in it. Like you basically took two bunches of parsley and you put it in the food processor and you mix these and you baked it. And it was delicious. Um, and I ate a bunch of it. And then I was like, what is wrong with me? Why is my period starting like five days early? Why is it lasting 11 days? I do not understand what's happening. And then I was like, oh, right. Parsley makes your period come. And that's something that people would use if like you miscarried or they would try to induce a miscarriage or you would um, like if you were late and not pregnant, you would take parsley tea and it would come. And I think I dropped off because none of you were there. No, we're just listening to fascination. <laughs> but yes. And so I was like 11 days long and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And then I was like, oh, wow, that really worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no drop off. Everybody's like, wow. Okay. Yeah. I have nothing to add so, here. This is fascinating. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, it was one of those things where like I completely um, didn't think about it until I was like, you know, like nine days in and I was like, I have to go to the doctor. Like, what is wrong? And then I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, my God. I just ate too much parsley. And that's like what it's known to do. <laughs> so there you go. Fun fact. The more you know. <laughs> I'm 
Just see, this is why conversation between different disciplines is so important. Yeah, I, I want to do so, so much more plant shows. I just want to do so many plant shows now. Just oh, well, you know, I have a whole chapter in my dissertation talking about plant sex and desire. Ooh, very good. Okay, actually, literature about plant sex, I is a weird, fascinating, and actually historically quite important field. Yes. Yes. So okay, look, all the, coming soon to a podcast near you. All the Darwin's <laughs> important to yeah, ex- yes, I was about to think okay. Uh, all the Darwin's like Erasmus The Lives of the Plants. Erasmus Darwin. Like we we yeah. need I I don't know what episode we're gonna talk about Erasmus Darwin on, but we need to do it. And also people just need you guys you guys need to find Lives of the Plants. It's my one of my favorite books mainly because the footnotes are ridiculous. Do you remember when we were when I was writing my dissertation and we were tales of coffee, either one, it's the same. And I was like, look at all these dirty quotes from like Darwin describing the orchid and the wasp. And you were like, this is disgusting. Anyway, <laughs> I think that we were better off before the disciplines like broke apart. Oh, like, I don't know about better off in terms of the production of knowledge, but in terms of like joy, whimsy, and just general giving zero fucks, absolutely we're doing better. <laughs> if we could like go back to that part without like, re- like reinscribing the misogyny, racism, homophobia, and all the other stuff that went along with that time period, that would be delightful. <laughs> I think TikTok might be on its way to doing that, if I'm honest, because education TikTok is wild. So we've resolved nothing, because I'm not going to... <laughs> I am not transitioning from Bridgerton to... to education TikTok? No, to, yeah, to TikTok. I, I, call, I call veto. No. <laughs> That's not where the show's going. We we might do a TikTok show. Not today. That's not where this is going. Way to like shut down the party map. Uh, I was. Uh, I mean, I was interested in a moment. I'm just like, wait a minute. No, I don't. No, we we just I, like is is this, is this what the children call jumping the shark? Is this have we done it? Have we done it? I think that we've gone on a journey tonight, and we have gone on a journey. Yes. <laughs> and really, I think, I think we could talk about a lot of important things in really smart ways. But also, you would be surprised to know that I am not drunk at all. This is oh, yeah, no. since over. Hey, having a lack of sleep can 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 yeah. produce yeah. effects similar to being drunk is a thing I read last night. So yeah, yeah. It's uh, also not healthy to not leave your house for eleven and a half months. So you know, yeah, turns yeah. out, yeah, turns out a lot of a lot of things going on in our lives right now may or may not be contributing to some weird mental health effects. <laughs> uh, anyway, I I mean. I, I I learned a lot about plants. I, I, I'm I'm going to leave in the point of the show where where Sarah's like, "Oh, am I still on?" And everybody's like, "No, no, no, we're still listening." <laughs> I, I mean, this is what you get when you when you watch a fascinating show like Bridgerton and then just listen to a great podcast like this one where you where we teach you stuff like how to you know kill people with plants and you know. I will say I finally went back and listened to some of our old episodes from two years ago. I was oh, like, God. "Whoa." I actually sound not stupid and actually we're having a really interesting conversation because famously I've not listened to the show when I'm on because I don't like listening to myself. Oh, you know, it's, it's weird. Yeah. It's but weird. With, some, with some distance, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, if it's, uh. if it's long enough ago, I can pretend it's a different person. It's okay. Honestly, at that point, we might have been different people. I mean, we were technically anyway. This is it was in the before times. It was in the before times. I was younger. I was more naive. I probably I know I didn't have more sleep. Uh, Anyway, thanks for coming, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you so much for sitting through this. 
Okay. And for giving us plant knowledge. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah, happy I'm happy birthday, to share Hannah. it. Happy birthday. Hey. Yeah, happy birthday. <laughs> uh, now we don't have to do another Bridget and show for another year. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> don't pretend uh, like you didn't love every minute of it. I did. I enjoyed the show. I enjoyed doing this show and I and I enjoy Bridgerton. And you know, the less I have to think of topics, the better. Um, and I have no idea what next week's show's on. So you know, one division, one division. Is that next week? I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, uh, it's next week. No, it's we're okay. recording it next week. Yeah, which means okay. I need to pay for Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One of it, yeah, it's one division, and then we're into the brave future where no one knows. Okay. Where so we're anyway, going. to find out about what we're going to be talking about, <laughs> subscribe. To, you know, follow our blog. <laughs> Better oh, get comment crazy. suggestions because we're clearly all losing our minds. Yeah, yeah. We'll follow our blog at www.voxpopcast.com where you can find out hopefully about what we're talking about in next week. Well, definitely next week we'll have to write something up and give us your thoughts on WandaVision. And then the week after that, whatever we're going to be talking about, we'll figure it out. But in the meantime, Sarah, anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, listen, if you want to learn how to kill a lot of people with plants, um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. You like that? Um, so I was actually looking through my blog, the old Serious Sexy Plans blog, and somehow I um, lost the password to sign back into it. Um, so that's why it's gone forever. Um, but it also has all this weird spam. So like halfway through the article, there's like a thing about electric cars that I did not put there. But if you look at it, there's a lot of really good information about um, more things that you can look, do to do things with your period and plants. So that's super exciting. So I'm going to plug that. So it's sarahsexyplants.com. <laughs> we got to figure out how to get you back in that. It, it was a good blog. Show a close reading of her blog, <laughs> including the spam. That's including just a show. Spam. Yes. <laughs> Nicole, what about you? Oh, I will say, um, I think it's coming out. I think it's coming out later this year that the book on adapting Superman that John edited and uh, people like me and, and Anna and, and Mav have articles in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, people will start noticing that, you know, he's like that, that book's out and several people that you've heard on this show are in it because that's how we book guests. <laughs> people I work with other places. Yep. Mm-hmm. We do. That's, that's how we got Hannah pretty much. <laughs> so. Yeah. And then later, Matt just decided she was a co host. Yeah. Um, good book. I'll be in it, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure what it's I mean, I, I, I was last time I saw a draft. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, Palodrome Hannah. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to apologize for talking so much because I'm tired. And secondly, you should listen to Kesha's High Road because it's her birthday too. <laughs> and Katya. You can find me on the interwebs, specifically the Instagrams, at just that nerd kid. Have I posted anything recently? No. Uh, will I post anything in this near future? Ah, jury's out. <laughs> You've posted a couple times. I've seen you post a couple times. I've posted some stories which basically just yeah. involve like, look, here's an ocean. It's there. <laughs> How nice. That's that's all the energy I have. Sewing hasn't really been happening other than like a speculative kind of way. And I'm mostly trying to figure out of whether or not I would start posting on TikTok because I have joined TikTok. I know I've said on previous episodes that I wasn't going to join TikTok. I've joined TikTok. I'm not going to give you my username yet. <laughs> you, you might have more social media than you do at this point. 
Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the same places, always at Vox Popcast. And like I said, you can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com and find out what we're talking about next week. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor if you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do. Otherwise, why did you sit through all of this? We've been, we've been, lo- we lost our minds like 20 minutes ago. But please leave us a five star review, especially on iTunes. That helps, helps other people find the show. And, you know, we, we didn't talk about eugenics being bad this week, but you could just talk about, like, you know, I don't eugenics know. Eugenics is bad. Yeah, how eugenics is bad and how this is the best show because it's the show you started listening to about superheroes and now they're talking about Bridgerton and uh, abortion tea. I don't know. It was interesting. You learn something. That's what you get from this show. You learn stuff. Um, also, subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, YouTube is interesting now because now in addition to our show, my other podcast is on that on our YouTube channel too. So you've got, you know, a visual representation of our show and you get to watch listen to gosh golly wow my other podcast with frequent guests of the show anna and, and andrew and it would really help us out if you subscribe to our youtube channel i would like to thank maximilian of Thoughtform music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out i'd like to thank nicole and sarah for joining us I'd like to thank you and hope for listening and we'll see you next time bye, bye.